All right. Um, all right, we are uh, back in Exodus. Uh, by the way, I don't know where to stand here. If I stand here, it feels like it's really far away. So I'm going to stand here for now. I don't think I even need my podium, but um, this table doesn't move. Uh, I think they had to bring it in with a crank. No, I don't, it's, uh, it's pretty heavy. So unless we get 12 guys on it, it's probably staying right there. And then we probably get in trouble for moving their conference table. Yeah, so um, we are, as most of you know, in the book of Exodus. And for those of you who are just joining us, we have gone through 30 chapters of, of Exodus. And really, the last uh, in the spring, we were going through the uh, tabernacle. Um, Moses, when he goes up onto the mountain, not only gets the Ten Commandments, he gets the plans for the tabernacle. And that is significant because the people are going to break the Ten Commandments, despite what they say. And as a result, they need a path back to God. And in the Old Testament, that was provided through the tabernacle. That was how you came to God. But it was limited access. It was the priests in the uh, tabernacle itself, the high priest once a year. But Jesus, of course, gives us all access to the Father. And so it prefigures what Christ is going to do. In some ways, Christ is the tabernacle. He is, um, when, when, when we are in Christ, we are in the tabernacle itself. And the veil is torn and pulled apart, and we're able to go right before the throne of grace. Um, we finished up, or almost finished, we got to chapter 30. 31 is a chapter that talks about uh, the two men who God inspires to build the tabernacle. And it's a chapter worth studying, but I'm going to skip it for right now. We're going to come back to it. We're going to come back to it because there's three chapters, chapter 32, 33, and 34 which are going to deal with um, the aftermath of the people breaking the covenant, building the golden calf. And it's really an important passage of scripture, um, the, the three chapters that take place. And then after that, the rest of Exodus is building the tabernacle. So you get plans for the tabernacle, and you build the tabernacle. Um, I don't know if we're gonna glean a whole lot more building the tabernacle than we did from, because it's really the same thing. It just says he built it according to these dimensions. But we'll bring back that chapter at that point because they talk again about those two, two men. Um, let me outline for you chapters 32 through 34 because it's actually a real important section of scripture. In chapter 32, we know the people build a golden calf. Actually, not the people. The people ask for it to be built. Who builds it? Aaron. Aaron builds the golden calf and they begin to worship the golden calf and God and Moses are on the mountain when it happens and of course God knows what's happening and he basically says to Moses that's it I'm done with these people I'm going to wipe them out or I may wipe them out and make you uh, the I'll make a nation out of you. And Moses intercedes for the people. And in fact, this is where Moses really shines in scripture. He begins to intercede for the people. He intercedes for them and he argues with God or, or not argues with God, but reasons with God and says, um, first of all, 
all the people around the world are going to say what a horrible God you are. It's going to be a black mark on your name. They're going to say you brought them out to destroy them. And second, you made promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And God relents. God says, okay, then I'm not going to do that. Moses goes down off the mountain. He confronts Moses. Remember, he, he bur burns the golden calf and grinds it into dust and pours it on the water. And then they have to drink it. And then he confronts Aaron. And then apparently there's still elements of that because they send the Levites out to kill their brother and their sister and their father, whoever is still worshiping the golden calf, 3,000 men die. And then um, a plague falls upon the people. Moses then goes and tries to intercede one more time because he knows the people have sinned. And this is where Moses then the second time goes to God and says, the people have sinned. I want you to blot their sin out by blotting me out of your book. Okay, uh, take me and keep the people. Um, that intercession fails. God says, no, everyone dies for their own sin. See, Moses actually is in the place of Jesus Christ. He's interceding, but he's not Jesus Christ. Who's the only person who can intercede for the sin of other people? Yeah. Only Jesus. Moses is trying to do something he's not capable of doing, but he still attempts it. And then finally, God says, well, go ahead and go, but I'm not going with you. And Moses says, we're not going unless you go with us. And God relents with that and goes with them. So there's actually three intercessions. Don't destroy the people. Don't hold their sin against them and go with us. And two of them, Moses succeeds, and then the other one, he doesn't. Then Moses goes back up onto the mountain receives the Ten Commandments again, and it's at that point that God shows him his glory, and God passes before him, and he comes back, and the, the law is, the covenant is reestablished. So that's chapters 32 through 34. What we're going to look at today is chapter 32, and just the probably the first six verses, but I, I hope to get down to verse 10. Um, let's read the entire chapter. And then we're going to talk about the people building the calf and God's response to it. It says, uh, when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made proclamation and said, tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. So they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings, and the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And the Lord said to Moses, go down for your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshiped it and sacrificed to it and said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, 
I have seen this people and behold it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them in order that I may make you a great nation or make a great nation of you. But Moses implored the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say, with evil intent did he bring them out to kill them in the mountain and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offsprings as the stars of the heavens. And all this land that I have promised, I will give to your offspring and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord relented from the disaster that he has spoken of bringing to his people. Then Moses turned and went down from the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, tablets that were written on both sides, on the front and on the back, they were written. The tablets were the work of God and the writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. When Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, there is a noise of war in the camp. But he said, it is not the sound of shouting for victory or the sound of the cry of defeat, but the sound of singing I hear. And as soon as he came near the camp, and saw the calf and the dancing, Moses' anger burned hot, and he threw the tablets out of his hands, and he broke them at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf that they had made and burned it with fire and ground it to powder and scattered it on the water and made the people of Israel drink it. And Moses said to Aaron, Why did you, what did this people do to you that you have brought such a great sin upon them? And Aaron said, Let not the anger of my Lord burn hot. You know the people, they are set on evil. For they said to me, Make us gods who shall go before us. And as for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So I said to them, Let any who have gold take it off. So they gave it to me, and I threw it into the fire, and out came this calf. And we'll stop reading there. The rest of it is the Levites attacking the people. Uh, this is a sad chapter. There are sad chapters in the Bible. Um, when Adam and Eve sin may be the saddest chapter in the Bible. But this, when they fail so quickly after what they have just seen and experienced is almost shocking to us. Uh, keep in mind that 40 days before, they have um, re uh, entered into the covenant with God. The Ten Commandments and the Book of the Covenant was read to them. And they said, everything that the Lord says we will do. And then 70 elders went up with Moses onto the mountain and they saw God. At least they saw a part of him, the feet, feet of God standing on a sapphire uh, pavement that was clear. And, and God ate and drank with them, or it says they sat down and ate and drank and they did not die. And those 70 elders were sent back down the mountain specifically to lead the people, along with Aaron and her. And less than 40 days later, they are building gods for themselves. Um, the danger is always to think this could only be true of them. Um, it is easy for us to build idols for ourselves and cease to actually worship the, the true God, to find ourselves in the same position. But it is a shocking thing. Um, 
I, there's a lot of ways we can go on this chapter, but one of the things that I spotted that, that really jumped out at me as I began to prepare for this was the lack of faith evidenced by the lack of patience and what the lack of faith does to the way you view the world around you. Let me just say that again. There's a lack of faith. It's evidenced by lack of patience. Um, it's hard to know whether lack of patience or, or not being patience damages faith or whether not having faith causes us to be impatient with what God is doing. But that's the situation they're in. That's where it starts. And as a result, your entire view of reality becomes distorted. Uh, this, there, there's the eyes of faith and there's the eyes of sight. And, and without faith, you don't see things properly. So I, I wanna take it from that tack. There's a whole bunch of other ways you can go. You can talk about leadership failure, because this was a failure in leadership. And you can see that when Moses comes down, all of a sudden the sheriff is back in town. Aaron could have refused to do, uh, could have. He should have refused to do it. Let somebody else do it or stand up against the people and say no, and he doesn't. But we're gonna look at it from that perspective. So it says in verse 32, when the people saw, I'm um, chapter one, excuse, uh, chapter 32, verse one, when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together and Aaron said to them, and to Aaron and said to him, up make us gods who shall go before us. As for this man, Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. There's all sorts of distortions in there. Anybody catch any of them? What do, what do the people say that's wrong? <laughs> Moses brought them out of the land of Egypt. Who brought them out of the land of Egypt? God, what evidence do they have for that? Lots. They had 10 plagues, right, which were clearly the hand of God. They saw the Red Sea part. They've seen manna come down from heaven. In fact, the amazing thing is they're still getting manna. I don't think it stopped. They say it's once it started, it continues. So they're still being provided for by God. They have seen uh, the quail. They've seen all of this stuff. And they're going to say, Moses brought us out of the land of Egypt? Well, there's truth to that. Who was leading them out of the land of Egypt? Moses. But God says, and you can look it up over and over again, this is my people who I brought out of the land of Egypt. What else is missing here? There's, there's a couple of other, apart from the fact they want to build a golden calf. A couple of them are hard to spot, actually. Yeah. What has become of exactly. He was up on the mountain. Yeah. And it says Moses delayed. Who, who was actually delaying? God. Moses isn't calling the shots here. Moses isn't up there going, uh, God, um, it's been a while. People are worried about me. Moses goes up onto the mountain. In fact, if you remember, when he goes up on the mountain, he's called up to the mountain. He actually waits seven days while the cloud, God is on the mountain until God allows him to come up. Moses is on God's timetable and the people are acting as if it's something that Moses is, is doing. Very good. That's uh, exactly, that's a, a distortion. A God who will go before us. I mean, they had God leading with the, the little 
Yeah. Yeah, so a God that will go before us. We already have a God that goes before us. He has the cloud and the fire that leads them. Bill. Do you think that maybe the 70 elders um, that follow God, they, they said, how can anyone live through that? Um, no, they came back down. Yeah, they came back down, but they saw God, and they saw Moses up there with them, and they, they might have went down to the people and said, yeah, it, it's possible. They no, they may have gotten some bad information. Yeah. Yeah. There's there's one other, but yeah, that's very possible, and that's what they're probably thinking is Moses is dead up on the mountain. Um, the other one is the way they refer to Moses. Catch how they say, it's this Moses. They are demeaning. That's a that's a. Um, that's a critical thing to say. Um, that is a disrespectful thing to say. It's like this Moses. Who is this man that's taken us out? And he's gone now. Um, they forget who Moses is. That Moses was appointed by God, and God made that absolutely clear to them. Um, and what's amazing is maybe even at the time that they're starting to ask, or shortly after, Moses is gonna stand up and intercede for them and say, God, take me in place of them. Take me in place of them. Um, this is not just this Moses, this is the appointed leader of the people. Um, so the question is, why are they impatient? And I don't know why, but my guess is they are simply have a lack of faith. They have seen miracles, but they still don't believe in their God. Um, we have to remember the background that they come out of, that they come out of a very polytheistic background. They would have been effectively raised in, uh, as Egyptians. They didn't even remember who Yahweh was when they came back, and yet to say, I'm going to build gods for myself is a stupid statement. And Isaiah tells us that. Remember where Isaiah says, you go out and you cut a log and you cut it in half and half of it you burn and half of it you carve as an idol and you set it up and you worship it even though you know that its eyes can't see and its ears can't hear. And, and Moses, I mean, Isaiah just mocks that idea that you're gonna actually give gold, put it in the fire, watch Aaron carve it and then say, this is our, our God that goes before us. Um, I, I want to apply it to ourselves because a, a mark of lack of faith, I think, is impatience. And let me just uh, take you through a few examples of that. Um, let's think of people in the Bible who have become impatient and the results of becoming impatient. My mind goes back to Abraham and Ishmael. Right? Uh, God made a promise. Abraham, despite his incredible faith and his incredible patience, failed at that point. He became impatient. He stopped waiting for God. And he took things into his own hands. And now we have Ishmael. And we're still dealing with that fallout 4,000 years later. Okay. Um, anybody else impatient with God? Is that? 
Uh, Sarah was too, yeah, she, she may have been the instigator, yeah. Um, so Sarah, both Abraham and Sarah, I I impatient with God. Are you thinking of another example of her being impatient? Yeah. Um, okay, when was Moses impatient? He strikes the rock, okay, and it ends up causing great harm to himself. He doesn't get to go into the promised land. How about um, King Saul? Remember, he gets told, go and wait for me seven days. And on the seventh day, he decides, I've waited long enough. And he acts, and the kingdom is taken away from him. You almost wonder if Judas isn't impatient as well. Um, I don't know if Judas ever had faith, but it was manifest. He wanted, I think, we don't know this, but from what we understand of history, he wanted Jesus to be something different than what he was. He wanted the revolution. He wanted Rome overthrown. And when that wasn't happening, he betrays Jesus. On the other hand, if we look at patience, go with me to Hebrews chapter um, Hebrews chapter 11, and we're going to do this quickly because we're going to run out of time, but um, in Hebrews chapter 11, we have what we know as the faith chapter, and um, we're not going to read all of it, but you have the example. We start off with Abel, and then Enoch, and then Noah. Noah waits 500 years for the flood and builds the ark. Um, but we get to Abraham and his looking for a city whose uh, foundation and designer is God. And then in verse 13, these all died in faith, not having received the promise, the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of the land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Um, the eyes of faith look forward to what God is going to do. Now, go back with me to Psalms, because I want to just throw out a few more verses. We'll do this fairly quickly, but go to Psalm chapter 25. Um, this is all through the book of Psalm, the idea of waiting on God and waiting for God. And David himself waited for God a lot. He waited while Saul chased him. He, he waited while Saul pursued him. He knew he had been crowned king and he refused to take that for himself. If there's a man who was good at waiting for God, it was David. Now, he didn't wait for some other things, okay? Nobody's... Nobody's perfect, but um, he did know how to wait on God. So, uh, Psalm 25, verse 3, it just says, Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. Um, and then if you go down to verse 5, Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. Um, and jump over to verse 21 of that same one. May integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. And I could keep going through the Psalms with uh, verse after verse where it says, I wait for the Lord. Salvation is from the Lord, and I wait for the Lord. So, 
Um, I doubt if we're going to be building golden calves. But are we any different? I mean, when we, when we pray and put it at the foot of the cross, so to speak, and it doesn't fit our timeline, are we any different? Yeah, because what do we do when that happens? Take it on ourselves. Mm -hmm. Right? You take it on yourself. Very good. That's exactly right. We make an idol of ourselves. The people said, we need a God, we build a God. We say, I need this done, and God isn't fitting my time frame, so I'm going to do it. Which essentially makes you your own God. You're placing your trust and your faith in your own abilities. And then when you start to think of examples of this, it's real hard. <laughs> because when do we act? Because God is calling us to act, and when do we wait? And so that's worth having a discussion about. Um, when do we wait on God to act? Um, I, I, I was thinking of a couple of examples. I'm going to throw that out because otherwise we say we need to be patient. Well, what does that mean? How does that look in our lives? Um, when we were looking to buy the land for the building, David was there, Andy was in those meetings. Every month we'd come, it seemed like, and something had fallen through. <laughs> It wasn't that often, it just seemed like it. We get all excited about this piece of property and then the guy would double the price. Or we'd be real excited about this piece of property is right in a perfect spot and then um, we lost it on the courthouse steps, right? It was, it was and, and then we had another piece of property and we almost talked ourselves into it but it was way out, away, away from here and it would have cost tons of money to set up the land and, and you're sort of getting desperate. And what are we doing? Then we start trying harder. And, and every single time that something fell through, the comment was, if God wants us to have the land, he's going to give us the land. Um, we, we, we're, we still were acting, but you're waiting on God to, to move. And I remember that Sunday, I, uh, Sunday, the Tuesday or Monday night I came, and they're talking about the land that we have. It's like, what just happened? And then we get a call out of nowhere and we get this great piece of property and those of you see it going up, you can't have a better spot in Kingsburg, right? Everybody who gets off that freeway coming from the south sees it and, and it's right there and it's visible and it's exactly what we wanted. We could have pushed through and said, you know what? We're gonna do this even though God seems like he's closing doors, but then we're trusting in our own abilities to make that happen. Um, I had a situation just recently, some of you know more about it than others, but um, two people that I know are really going at it, they're fighting. Both Christians, both people I care about, and so I jumped in and tried to mediate. It went really badly, <laughs> okay? I thought I was doing everything good. It didn't solve the problem, and so I finally, and I don't think it was wrong to step in and mediate. In fact, if you think about the sermon last Sunday, blessed are the peacemakers. But at some point, the only way you're gonna mediate is if hearts are changed, right? That's the only way you're going to bring these two together. And so I finally, I just stepped back and I said, I'm done. I'm not gonna try and mediate anymore. Um, so what do I, what am I reduced to? Praying right? Which isn't being reduced to anything. It's putting it back into God's, into God's hands, okay? Um, any 
other thoughts on that? Because it is tough. There are times where you feel like God is telling you, move forward and do this. There are even times where a door closes and we, we, we pray about it and we ask God to open those doors or open another door. But um, it, it's a, I think it's an important principle that we need to know what it is to wait patiently for the Lord, which the people didn't do. So I'll stop talking and give you guys a chance to throw out something maybe in your own life where you've seen that happen. Or maybe a bad example where you pushed through and it didn't work out very well. But. You have an example of that, or just you just sensed well, it over the course I, of I your. I take it in my own hands as an entrepreneur, and, uh, and when I stepped back and said, "God, I will not go forward ever again unless you're the lead that's in front of me." And what I did after I started to following, I figured that the freedom I was trying to seek and develop on my So how does it, how, how do we prevent just sitting and doing nothing? Well, you're going forward all the time because God's, the, in John it says, Jesus is, uh, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and he says, my father is working and I'm working. I'm always working. God has always got me working. It's just, as you said, growing in patience. Yeah, I, the, the danger is to say we sit around and do Nothing. So that's a good answer. We should be busy. We should be doing things for God. We should be uh, attempting things. And when God shuts the doors, we stand back and we say, I don't understand why, but let me try something else and allow him to lead that way. I remember, oh, go ahead. Dan. I just think the Lord stirs things up in a believer's heart. And if you're living in obedience for him, uh, some people ask, what is the Lord's will? Well, sometimes the desire of your heart, if you're living in obedience to him, is the Lord's will and to act upon that. Yeah. If you're putting the Lord before you and you're living a life of, of obedience, then uh, that desire in your heart most likely is the Lord's will and to put the Lord before that and to go after it. Yeah. I think we have a verse on that, right? Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Yeah, right. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lead not in your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him. He'll direct your paths. But that wasn't the one I was thinking of, one where he will give you the desires of your heart. I think it's Psalms, Psalm 73 or Psalm 37. Uh, God gives you the desires of your heart. Yeah. A lot of times, too, you know, the desires of our heart are those desires that God has given us. We think whatever we really want, he will give to us because they're the desires of our heart. But he gives us his desires for us so that we do desire them not realizing that they come from him. Yeah, and we have to be careful because they have to line up with what God has revealed in Scripture because we could now go and say these people had a desire for a God to go before them. But in the process of doing that, they violate the first two commandments, right? 
Remember the first two commandments? No other gods before me. Do not build a graven image. Do not bow down and worship any, anything that you can fashion. So these people had a desire, but it was contrary to God's will. But we really do have the freedom, like Dan is saying, that if you're obeying God to, to do what it is that God is calling you to do and allow him to direct you. Uh, I remember when I was in high school, we had a youth pastor at our church. And we, we, you know, high school kids, one of the big things is what is God's will for my life? What does he want me to do? And his advice was do, start doing things. In fact, he even gave an interesting bit of advice. He said, this I, I think it's more applicable for young people, but he said, anytime God gives you an opportunity, take it. You have an opportunity to go on a missions trip, go on the missions trip. You have an opportunity to work in the nursery, work in the nursery. You have an opportunity, somebody comes up and offers you an opportunity, take it. Because you will find very quickly where God is, is, is taking you. Doesn't mean you have to stay working in the nursery forever if you don't like it. Um, doesn't mean you have to uh, go be a missionary if when you went, you didn't feel called to that. But, but try it. Just start doing things and allow God to lead you. And it was really good advice because there were things that, that I did that you find out, no, that's not what I'm good at. Um, so any other comments on this? Lisa. So continuous crying out for God's wisdom to know that we're going in the right direction. Yeah. Okay, let me go back to Exodus. Oh, uh, Rich, you were going to say something? No, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, you just moved your arm. Okay. All right. Um, I, I wanted to point out a few things in this section because I, I like to go through. Uh, that to me was, was what I did when I read it. It seemed to me that that whole idea of waiting for God and being patient and allowing your faith to build. Um, uh, you know, it, miracles don't ever produce faith. Faith allows us to see God's miracles is really what happens. Um, uh, when we don't have faith, God's miracles get discounted very quickly. I mean, it's amazing <laughs> that within that short of time, God's miracles have been discounted. Um, and now, I wanted to go through and look at some of the other parts of this, and so we're going to do that quickly. It says, verse 2, after they've asked for gods to go before us. By the way, that was the big thing. When God says, I'm not going before you, they panicked. These people wanted a God to go before them, and they had it, and they turned away from him because they were impatient. Um, it says, they brought, Aaron says, take off your rings, bring them to me. They brought them, Aaron received it and fashions it and makes a golden calf. And they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Notice it's plural there. It says, these are the gods who brought you up. 
So the question is, did they make more than one calf? But the word for God in Hebrew is Elohim, which is actually a plural. It's a singular, but it's a plural. In other words, I remember being taught this at one of my Bible classes at Biola. It's almost as if God is too big to be spoken of as a singular. And the example the uh, professor gave was, um, if, if you look out on the ocean, you think of the waters of the ocean. Uh, water just seems like too small of a word. You have that, that thing, cast your bread upon the waters. It, it's, 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 God is so big, that's the word that's being used here. Uh, the question is, are they trying to synchronize their beliefs? So they're actually saying, all we're doing is making an image of Jehovah. Um, but other people disagree with that and say, no, they're actually saying we're, we're going to create gods. And this just represents one of, one of the gods. Um, the amazing thing is this is Aaron. This is the man who stood beside Moses the entire time. This is a colossal failure in leadership. And there is no excuse for it. While or just shortly before this is happening, Moses is getting plans for the high priest's garments. You guys remember that? What does the high priest have on him that's special? He has that, well, he has the same, he has the white robes of the priest, but he has the breastplate where he represents the entire people. And on his shoulders, he has the names of the 12 tribes as well. And on his forehead, he has a golden plate that says holy to the Lord and this man who's going to wear all of those things has just made for them an idol not only an idol what else does he make he makes an altar and he makes a proclamation tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord and then they rose up early the next day and they offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. And then it says the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Um, a whole system of false worship is instituted. The, the golden calf, the altar, a feast day, a celebration and offerings that are being offered to this. Um, They've, they've merged together the, the worship of Jehovah with the worship of this new God to the point of the burnt offerings, the peace offerings, and all the rest. By the way, just so you know, that word play there, uh, strong connotation of sexual immorality that's taking place. This is not just a party. This is a drunken uh, party and maybe a drunken orgy. Uh, that word play is um, the same word that's used. Remember when Isaac and Rebecca, Isaac is trying to pass Rebecca off as his wife, and the king, uh, not as his wife, as his sister, not his wife, and the king looks out and he sees, and in the King James it says he sees um, Isaac sporting with his wife. And in the ESV it says caressing his wife. That's the exact same word that's used here. People rose up to play. Uh, it's the same connotation. So this has very quickly degenerated into an immoral uh, worship 
It isn't just that they're doing the same. They're, they're incorporating everything else. Um, I, I think there's lessons there. We're almost out of time, but lessons as well. When, when churches set aside what God has called us to do, when their leadership decides to compromise, I think very quickly that worship is no longer the true worship of God. Uh, the leadership of the, the church itself is going to be very important. The local church, and if you have a larger denomination, the denomination itself. When we begin to compromise with the world, when we take and substitute something for God, very quickly, you may keep the same form, but the worship itself is, is corrupted. And these people are totally corrupted. Now, um, I want you to see something because I want you to ponder this for next week. Remember how we said that um, the people said something wrong when they said, Moses, who brought us up out of the land of Egypt? Did you guys catch this? What does God say? <laughs> God says, go down for your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. So um, I want you to ponder that, all right? We'll talk about that next week, what's happening there. Um, so that's kind of an interesting thing. So, um, but we are called upon to be people of faith. We're called upon to wait upon God. And at the same time, we're called upon to be obedient to him and to be serving him. So um, that's going to be something you're going to have to work on yourself. We don't want people sitting around saying, I'm not going to do anything until God actually forces me to or tells me with the, you know, that I'm going to do this. But at the same time, we don't want to be charging ahead where God is not leading. And that's a balance that, that takes a lot, of, uh, a lot of wisdom. And like Lisa said, a lot of prayer um, and obedience to his word. Any comments before we finish? Yes. Yeah. One thing I forgot to mention is that when it says the people gathered themselves around Aaron, uh, that's not a friendly gathering. The implication there, just like that word play, is that this was a, a mob. And it's possible that Aaron himself, he has not really done any leadership. He's a very weak leader and he just acquiesced to the people. Um, uh, he, and assuming he knew that that was completely wrong. And the way he responds when Moses comes down makes it even worse. Uh, he, he looks about as weak as a leader as you could possibly have. And the other 70, the, the question has to be, where were the other 70 elders? Where was her? Why weren't they all there saying, no, this is wrong? So a complete failure of leadership in the, among the people of Israel. But it may be, the answer may simply be that he was scared. I, I could get killed if I say no. Um, and it would have been better if he had been killed. <laughs> then he would have been in the chapter, Hebrews chapter 11, right? Um, and, and he isn't, I don't think. Um, he's a pretty weak, weak leader. And it's interesting, God still uses him as the high priest. It's just really amazing. Yeah. You were saying in 
Yeah, Elohim is is actually a is a plural, but it's used of God. So in Genesis one, it says, "And God said, it's Elohim." So it's a plural, but it it isn't translated in that passage as a plural, right? It's "And God said," it's not "And God's said," mm-hmm. and and again, the idea is just that God is is so so big and so all-encompassing that to use a singular for him makes him seem like a point when he's not a point. He's a... Could it be like referring to the Trinity? Let us make God, let us make man in our image. Yeah, and that's where you see it, let us make man in our image. And that's why you will find some Old Testament scholars who will say uh, they don't think that's referring to the Trinity because it's really referring to that idea that Elohim is a plural. And then other people will say, no, it's very definitely God laying the foundation for the, the Trinity. So uh, I don't have the language knowledge to know the difference between those two. It's just interesting here, the translators chose to not translate it God with a, a capital G, which we don't do anymore, which is weird, but now it's God's. So they chose to say, no, they're building God's for themselves. Coming out of the polytheistic Egyptian culture, building gods for themselves would have been completely reasonable. Yeah. Okay, anything else? Any other comments on the passage? All right, let's go ahead and pray.